Coming to you live from our worldwide headquarters in Virginia Beach, Virginia, this is the Future EDU Podcast with your host, Josh Glesner. All right. Thank you, Barry. Welcome, everybody. Friends, family, colleagues, educators all over America. This is Josh Glesner with the Future EDU Podcast. Kicking off episode two, we got some great feedback on our original breakout episode, and I wanted to talk a little bit more about some of the things uh, in the future. You know, we call this the Future EDU Podcast, and I always try to look at issues in education from the lens of what are we getting our kids ready for. And if we don't have a good idea what that looks like, then we're just kind of flailing in the dark, and we're just kind of taking orders and doing our jobs, which on some level, I guess, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But I'd like to think if you're going to get out of bed and put your feet on the ground on a cold, rainy, cloudy, snowy Monday morning and you're going to go into a classroom full of kids, I'd like to think that that most listeners out there like me and really want to make a difference and, and put our kids in a really good position to succeed. That's kind of why, why we do this job. It's what I, why I do this job anyway. Certainly not for the money. Uh, but anyways, the episode uh, title of this episode is what do our students need to know for the future? What do they need to know for the future in terms of being productive? Okay. Because I don't know if you've noticed this over the last decade and a half, but the American economy and the world economy is undergoing a rapid, rapid structural transformation. It's everywhere. It's pervasive. In fact, most people out there listening to this show right now are taking part in this rapid transformation. They don't even know it. Things like big data. Things like machine learning. You hear talk on the news of automation about jobs going away. Well, that's not really how that's going to be. Jobs don't just go away. All right. You go online and Google job automation and you're going to find all types of, of people shooting their mouth off, trying to get everybody panicked out, talking about how the economy is going to just crash for half of us and, and the rich will get richer and the poor will get poor. That, that's nonsense. That's garbage. Actually, what that reminds me of is you, you go all throughout American history, world history, but anytime there's been a significant progress in terms of technology there's always people everywhere going all the way back crying about how they're going to lose their jobs and and about how the society is going to fall apart because nobody's going to have any money and guess what we're still here still here today you know there was this idea so the person who invented the air brakes for the train george westinghouse invented the air brake for the train now I don't know if you knew this, but trains don't have regular brakes like cars, all right? You get that much weight going at that speed, and there's no way conventional brakes can do anything to slow that slow that sucker down. So what they had back in the day, and this is just a little anecdote, but what they had back in the day were people called brakemen that literally their entire job was to stand on the train and manually activate the brakes when it was time for the train to slow down well george westinghouse comes out with his automated braking system called the air brake brilliant design and one of the things that he gets accused of is trying to put people out of work 
right? He gets accused of all these horrible things, right? All these awful things, and he's just on all these break. You know, brakemen are like the the, the brakemen unions or whatever, and they're doing terrible things to try to keep this system from going into place. But the fact of the matter is, the goods, to, the the price to ship anything anywhere by train was incredibly expensive at the time because you had to pay the salaries of this dozen or so people that would have to to uh, man the the train to get it to where it would go. So Westinghouse creates this brilliant system, and Sure enough, the world didn't end. In fact, everything got cheaper for everybody else. So when you, when you go online and you see these people talk about automation and big data and, and machine learning and artificial intelligence automating jobs away, you know, like it's going to be the end of the world. That's, that's just nonsense. It's just not how it is. But things do change and they are changing and they will change. And one of the things that I say a lot in, in my PD sessions is the rate of change is increasing. All right. It's not that this is a linear change. This is, this is a logarithmic exponential type of function here. All right. It, it's getting it's changing faster. Every day is changing faster. So the economy will change there, there. There's already been changes, but there's already been changes that a lot of people didn't see coming. For example, an artificial intelligence program was the first one to spot the China, the current Chinese coronavirus outbreak. An artificial intelligence program was the uh, recently, as, as of a couple of years ago, was able to out-diagnose, if that's a term, a team of doctors just by looking at MRI data. The doctors were only roughly 70% accurate, and the AI program was somewhere in the mid-90s. People like accountants and lawyers, those are the jobs that are threatened through automation, not not the not the hourly, you know, not not the low end jobs. In fact, I think a lot of lawyers are going to be put out of the system because really all you pay a lawyer to do is look at case law and then come up with an argument based on case law and then write it up. Well, guess what? An artificial intelligence program can do that in. I don't know, one thousandth of the time. That a human can? Some people think there are way too many lawyers in this world anyway. But I digress. And I don't want to offend anybody who went through law school. I have a respect for people who went through that. But change is always hard. There's no doubt. But what I want to focus on today is what do our student, students need to know for the future? And I want to drop a little bit of information on you because according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics for the United States government, they list off every year or so, they update what they call the fastest growing occupations. So the occupations that, according to their calculations, have the fastest growth rate for the next 10 years, all right, or fastest projected growth rate. And when I, I want to read you a couple on here. Home health aides, personal care aides, Occupational therapy assistants, nurse practitioners, speech-language pathologists, counselors, health specialties teachers, phlebotomists, physical therapist aides. Those are just a few. Now, what do all that have? What do all those have in common? Well, they're all somewhat in the medical field, but they're all person-to-person type of jobs. 
See, I've had this theory that I think doctors will be automated away, but you'll never automate away a nurse because of the bedside manner and the comfort that that person provides. You know who's not on this list? Engineers are not on this list. Programmers are on this list, but they're specialized kind of operations research analysts. Software developers are on the list. But things like lawyers, accountants, they're not there. Engineers are not here. And one of the things that I want to talk about today is based on that, that machine learning and big data and automation can create redundancy in a lot of different industries. It can create situations where a person flat out simply cannot perform as well as the machine. And it's a rational decision to turn the work over to the machine and let the person go. Now, this doesn't happen overnight in every industry, and you're not going to have 30% of the, the workforce uh, unemployed overnight. That's just not realistic. That's not the way that, that, that it works. But many of these jobs that are projected to grow anywhere from 18 to 63% in the next 10 years are people-facing jobs. Okay, Salesmen are the kinds of jobs that are going to thrive. Anything that requires person-to-person contact communication skills are going to be key. So I want to talk about a little bit what do the kids need to know and what do they not need to know with with the way the economy is changing. What do we not need to teach them? In order for them to be successful. Okay. Because I, again, I don't believe in just showing up and doing my job. I want to put kids in the best situations possible. So when they graduate and they move on, they have the skills that they need to be successful. All right. And I want to talk about four items real quick. First thing that they're going to need is communication skills. That's the very first thing. All right. And, and talk to any teacher. And by the way, every teacher here listening knows exactly what I'm talking about right now. All the administrators know exactly what I'm talking about. If you don't fall into one of those two categories, just hear me out. If there's one thing, and I can put my, my finger on it in the last decade and a half, if there's one thing that I've seen the average student body, elementary school, middle school, high school, even up to college, is that the on the whole, obviously with a few exceptions, on the whole, the, communi- the, the ability to communicate person-to-person has really, really dropped off. Now, this is anecdotally. I don't have any big, big study to give you. Now, my theory is, of course, that most of kids' interactions are now digital, okay, through Snapchat, Instagram, that type of thing. In fact, kids will say things on social media that they would never dream of saying to somebody's face. goes for adults, too. Okay, so adults out there don't, don't think that you're off the hook either. But with the way that the economy is changing, students have to have, kids have to have, young people have to have great communication skills in order to be successful. Because they're not really going to be able to to tuck away in an office and do a repetitive job where they don't have to talk to anybody. Because you know what? Low-skilled, repetitive jobs that don't require thinking are the ones that are going to get automated away. But somebody who can communicate verbally, they can look somebody in the eye, they can shake their hand, they can make friends with them, they can build relationships with them. Those people are always going to have work. It could be in sales, it can be in consulting, it can be in support, 
It can be in training. It can be in the medical field. It can be in any one of these things. Doesn't even matter the specific industry, but they have to have communication skills. Okay. People who, who have no communication skills, you know, in the past 15, 20, 100 years, they were able to just find a cubicle job somewhere like, like Milton from the office. Okay. Remember the guy with the red stapler who burned down the building? Milton. He had no communication skills. And you know what? His job is going to get automated away and he's going to be in trouble. So, whatever we do in the classroom, let's think about communication. How can we make our kids communicate? Whether that's verbally, whether that is written, whether that's face-to-face, however it is, make them communicate. It's a skill that they're going to need in the future. The second thing is this. Kids are going to need to be creative. If there's one thing that artificial intelligence has not cracked, it's creativity. Artificial, see, some people get scared of artificial intelligence. They're like, oh, AI, machine learning, isn't that Terminator Isn't that the end of the world? They're going to take over all the nukes and they're going to blow us up and then we're going to get into the matrix and all these types of things. That's not even remotely close to what it is. All machine learning is, and artificial intelligence is the other term for it, but I call it machine learning. All machine learning is, is looking at data much, 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 much faster than a person ever could. That's, That's all that it is. And the machine can pick up the patterns. In the past, that's been impossible, but now with technology breakthroughs, that's very, very possible. In fact, mo- if you spend any time on the internet, Facebook, Amazon, whatever, you have c- communicated to those websites through a machine learning algorithm. But creativity. Can artificial intelligence write a song? Can they write a poem? Can they describe what they're seeing? Can they come up with a new way? Can they innovate? Can they come up with a new way to do something? Absolutely not. Not in the current state and, and most likely not for the foreseeable future. So when we're teaching kids, can we teach them to be creative? And not necessarily in the, in the, in the purely artistic way, right? Although there is something to that, okay? There's always going to be a need for graphic designers and filmmakers and effects people and audio people and people who can be creative in, in the kind of the traditional artistics way. But... Machines can't do that, and they'll never be able to do that. So if we can build those skills up with our kids, that they can be creative, they can look at a situation and say, okay, I don't think this has been tried, but I think it's got a chance, so let me go ahead and try it. I don't know if anyone's thought of this before, but I'm going to have the courage to do it, right? I think that's a really good thing to do. So we talked about communication. We talked about creativity. Another absolutely crucial skill that our kids are going to have to develop is collaboration, right? Now, in any industry, and I, I, I say any industry, but the, uh, any industry that I know of now requires collaboration among teams. And most of the time, those teams are not in the same place, right? In a past life, I did some web development work. Well, my project manager was up in D.C. My uh, UX designer slash graphic designer was in Charlotte, North Carolina. The person in charge of writing the content for the website was in California. And the actual person that put the code together was in India. So we had one, two, three. We had three different time zones. We had 
multiple facets of the project going on. And this was not this wasn't even for like a grade A industrial, you know, super commercial. This was basically a side hustle. Right. For me. Now, some people do this for a living, but being able to collaborate with folks, keep people on track communicate your needs, work with others and find solutions creatively together. That is a skill that is a must, especially as the economy and and the job market continues to change with the advent of automation and machine learning. So could, could your kids in your classroom, if they're doing a project, Right, maybe an individual assessment, and they they have to research. I don't know George Washington, or something like that for social studies, or even better, research the effects of the water cycle. In science class, would they be able to through Google Docs or through Microsoft or whatever platform? By the way, I'm a Google person. I like Microsoft too, so don't hate on me, people out in Seattle. All right, but I use Google for just about everything. Could the kids be in a situation where they could collaborate with each other in a project without actually ever seeing each other? And I really, really like this project. So we're going to call this your classroom takeaway of the day. Classroom takeaway of the day. I had a teacher in North Carolina try this. She had a science project and she she paired kids up. But she paired kids up with kids in other sections. So they never actually sat across the table from each other while they were collaborating on this project. You know how the first few days of it went? Really, really rough. Because kids never had to do that before, okay? If you're coaching basketball, you're coaching football, and you run a play that you've never run before, the first time you run it, it's not going to be any good. That's just the way that it is. That's why you run it again and again and again, all right? Coach yell, run it again, but it was amazing that, that the transformation that took place after a, after a week and a half of working on this project, the teacher would start to work with kids and say, OK, well, you're communicating like this. This is a good way to start your sentences. And you kind of give them some sentence stems. And by the end of the project, about three weeks later, the kids had done a really remarkable job of splitting up their research and they had used the Google suite. They'd used Google Docs, cloud-based stuff. They communicated through the chat. They'd sent each other email. They had sent each other files through Google Drive, which guess what? That's what they're going to do in their job. It's awesome. You get a bunch of eighth graders doing that and suddenly when they have to do that at their job, it's no big deal. So we talked about communication, creativity, and collaboration. We got one more. It also starts with a C in case you couldn't figure out the pattern. And that's critical thinking. Now, I've said this. I've, I've written this before. I said this in PDs. And I'll have a whole other episode on this in the future. But we are in an informa- We are in an age now. I call it information obesity. That's the term that I use. Because for most of humanity, we were in a situation. Think about Think going all the way back to like 5000 BC. All right. I mean, all the hunter-gatherer tribes, they're making up deities and they're making up stories to explain things that they don't know. And the only way that you could get information out of anybody was to talk to them. And if a new idea came up, you had to convince people and then you had to walk all the way across the desert or wherever to communicate that to somebody else, right? So information, humans were starving for information, which is why they, uh, a lot of the times they did what they did, child sacrifice and, and you know, animal sacrifices and going to war and, and all these types of horrible things that happened in antiquity. 
But the biggest reason was they didn't have any information to go off of. Okay, that was starvation. And now we're in a, in a place where we have so much information. My daughter has access to more information in her pocket, in her pocket, not on her computer, in her pocket, than Albert Einstein ever even dreamed of having. Other than the launch codes for America's nuclear missile forces, you can pretty much find anything through your cell phone. If you want to learn Japanese, you can find that. If you want to learn how to fix your carburetor, you can do that. If you want to find out how to create a logo, you can find that. Information everywhere. But there's also a downside to that. There's misinformation. There's false information. There's misleading information. There's propaganda. There's also pieces of information on the web that kids will go to because Google takes them there or whatever, and they need to be able to sort through and think critically about what they're looking at. Does this make sense? Does this make sense with my background knowledge? Does the source work out? Is this a legitimate place, or am I on some, somebody's, somebody's blog or podcast? Although I'd like to think of my own podcast as a good source. But I just outlined kind of four things. Communication is a skill that needs to be had in the new economy. Collaboration. Kids have to be able to work together. People have to be able to work together. If you can't work in a team, you are going to have a very difficult time finding work. Creativity. Can you think outside the box? Can you come up with a creative solution for something? And critical thinking. Can you take all that information that's in front of you and can you parse it through and find out what you need to find out and then apply that to something else. See, machines can't do any of those things. They can do a lot. Machines can do incredible things, but they can't do those four things. So if you're out there, think about the big picture teachers. You're out there, you're teaching your kids and you're working with your class. Any given lesson that you're in, any given lesson, how could we get kids to communicate more? How could we get kids to collaborate? How can we get them to think critically about something? Those are questions that I love working with teachers on. I love answering those questions. If you have any of those questions, feel free to drop it here in the comments section, either on YouTube or on the site. That's stemologyedu.com, and you'll find a button in the top right corner that will take you to the podcast page. Also on the site, I'll go ahead and post some of the data and the sources that I was using earlier, right? And by the way, for the future, those four things that I talk about, I will refer to as the four C's. The four C's. It's a big part of our philosophy here at Stemology Education. It's not my idea. I didn't come up with it, right? It's been around for a while, but it's a huge part. So teachers, think about those four C's, and whatever lesson you're going to teach tomorrow, here's your challenge, here's your homework. Whatever lesson you're going to teach tomorrow, I want you to think about how can you integrate one of those four things and make it stronger in your lesson. That's all for today. Thank you for listening to the Future EDU podcast. For more information and updates, check us out at stemologyedu.com or follow us on Twitter at stemologyedu. Until next time, take care.